Good morning and welcome to Coffee with Pastor here on WRNR. Our host, Rick Knight, pastor of Living Waters Family Worship Center, will give practical and biblical application to some of life's most challenging questions. So grab a coffee, sit back, and let's open the Word of God together. Since you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Now we are, today are ending a series of messages called The Power of 4321. And so this is the last of the, the four messages. And uh, I just want to give a recap of what we talked about previously. Week one, we talked about the power of four. Four is the number in the Hebrew language. Four is the number of creation. And we know according to Scripture, if any man or any woman be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are what? They become new. Amen. So we see where four individuals, four men, brought a paralytic to Jesus in the gospel story, and and they couldn't make it into the house, so they tore off the roof and set the paralytic down in front of Jesus, and Jesus turned to him and said, your sins are forgiven you. Of course, that caused quite a stir among the religious people. They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? That should have gave them a clue right there. And Jesus said, to show you that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on the earth, he says, rise, take up your bed, and walk, and the man was healed. So not only did he walk out healed, he walked out as a new creation. Praise God. Week two, we looked at the power of three. Three is the number of completeness. We learned from the latter part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter, that there's three things that abide, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But we also see that out of those three, each one of them is not fully complete without the other. And these are three great elements in Christendom. This is the three great elements in our own personal devotion to God, faith, hope, and love. And we know all of it works by love. Praise God. Last week we learned from the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that two are better than one. Two are better than one. Two conveys the meaning of union, but it can also mean division. We don't want that. We want union. Amen? We don't want division. It can also mean the verification of facts by witnesses. We also learned out of 2 Samuel 14, we see the demonstration of what can happen when two people partner together. Jesus talked about partnership. He said, if the two of you will agree touching anything on earth, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. That's powerful. And we need to get a hold of that partnership in Christ and realize that as we agree together in prayer, things are going to happen. Amen? And we see the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer in the book of Samuel that Jonathan was getting a little antsy to, to go to battle and he's wanting to fight some Philistines. You know, just one of those days where he just wanted to pick a fight. And so he told his armor bearer, he says, I'm going up to this outpost and I'm going to fight these Philistines. What do you think about that? He says, whatever you have, uh, a desi- whatever the desire is in your heart, just tell me, I'll agree with it and we'll go for it. So they went up and two of them fought off 20 Philistines. And so the powerful part of that whole thing is not that two could fight 20. It was this, that Jonathan was disobeying the order of his father, the king, and surely he would have been put to death. But the armor bearer says, you know what? If you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. That's true partnership. I'm going with you to the grave. Praise God. And we talked about how powerful marriages could be if the spouses could just get together on something. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down now. I know some of you are looking at me like, oh, pastor, don't. Don't get to meddling now, you know. So what happens is this. A married couple can be one of the strongest forces in the world today. Amen? 
if they just partnered together. Enough said. So let's get into our text this morning. Is it okay if I read the Palm Sunday story where we get Palm Sunday from? Isn't that like a revelation? Like, whoa, man, this is cutting edge. He's reading the Palm Sunday story in church. Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the, visit, uh, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I want to say right here that if Jesus Christ fulfilled prophecy in, from the Old Testament that he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, how much more is he going to fulfill prophecy one day when he comes riding on a stallion? Amen? Praise God. Jesus Christ is coming back. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Now you have to understand, this is Passover in Jerusalem. It was a packed house. There, there's estimates that were, there were between two and 300,000 people in Jerusalem during Passover. They camped out around Jerusalem. They, they packed out the hotels and the inns inside of Jerusalem. They stayed at friends' houses. There's about 300,000 people. And so when these people are spreading their clothes out on the road as a sign of homage to, to the entering triumphant king, Jesus Christ, they're saying, blessed is he. Who's he? Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the one. We're talking this morning about the power of one. The power of one. It says here, verse 9, Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Today, once again, we are looking at the power of one. As with the other messages, I want to say what the meaning of one is. The number one is only divisible by itself. It is independent of any other numerals, yet composes them all. It symbolizes in the Bible the unity and primacy and the oneness of the triune God. That is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What is known as the Shema in Hebrew or Shema Yisrael in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 which reads, Hear, O Israel, the word hear is the word Shema which means to not only to hear but to obey because the writers of Hebrews believed that when you heard from the Lord that naturally you were going to obey. That's not necessarily the way it is in the western hemisphere because our words hear and obey are two different words. Because we have an option. I can hear, but I don't necessarily have to obey. But not in Hebrew language. If you were to hear something, the anticipation or the expectation of that scripture was that you were going to hear it and you were going to obey it. So it says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord your God is one Lord. He is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this is often used in Jewish prayer services. 
The number one also represents the unity between God the Father and His Son Jesus. Because in John chapter 10, verse 30, the Bible says this, I and my Father are one. Or me and my Father are one. There's a unity there, and you might say, well, I don't understand really the Trinity. It's called the mystery of the Trinity, because how can three distinct personalities become one? It's because they're so intertwined within themselves, even though they're distinct in personality, they have a oneness that, that none of us can comprehend with our mind. You know, we try to use illustrations. What about the egg, the eggshell, the egg white, the egg yolk? You know, it's three parts, but it's one egg. You know, like, okay, you know, like the... Three, one, oh, it's amazing, you know. Um, we, we try anything we can to illustrate the Trinity. It's the mystery of the Trinity. We cannot fully comprehend with our mind what the, what the Trinity is all about. But we know one thing. It's three distinct persons in one because our God is one. There's a lot more to read about the number one, but let me get into our message this morning. First of all, we want to look at this. Our God is one. Our God is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, once again, looking at the Shema of uh, Deuteronomy. We're looking at verses 3 through 5, and it says, Therefore hear, O Israel, once again, Shema, O Israel, and be careful to observe, that word observe is obey, obey it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is saying, I just want you to hear and obey, that it may be well with you. God is desiring goodness upon us. God is desiring that we would walk in the blessing and favor of His kingdom, but we have to hear and obey, not just hear. Even James says it's not enough to hear the Word of God or to read the Word of God, it's to do the Word of God, amen? amen. Or the Bible says we will deceive ourselves. It goes on to read this in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We see throughout Scripture that God is one. He's one in purpose. He's one in unification. He's one in, in mission. He's one in all His plans. God is one. Secondly, what we have to realize is this, is that we, as the body of Christ, are one. That's another mystery you don't understand. Here we got all these members of our body, all these appendages, all these uh, capillaries and, and all the veins and arteries and the tendons and sinew and all these things that make up our body, yet our body is one unit. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now here, I, you've heard me say this before, if you've attended here long enough, that the miracle of Pentecost was not so much that the Holy Spirit came. The miracle of Pentecost was that there was 120 people in one accord in one place. That they were unified. And I believe this with all my heart. If we want to see another Pentecost happen again, we have to come together and we have to be unified and we have to believe God is one. Amen? And not only that He is one, that He desires us to be one. Let me insert this very quickly. A lot of times we look at the commandments of the Lord and, and we, see, we have to see that there's much more than uh, thou shalt or thou shalt not. We have to know the reason behind it. 
The commandments themselves are preemptive, but it's telling us the principle behind it because if the, if the Bible says, thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not kill, why is that? It's because God is life. You see? Why, why does it say, thou shalt not commit adultery? Because God is faithful. Why does it say, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions? Because God is all-sufficient. We don't need anything else if we have God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Thou shalt not bear false witness, because God is the truth. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. Why is that? Because God is a God of authority, and God is a God of structure. Amen? And that's why we're to honor that. When has it become that the kids are telling the parents what they're going to do? That's a family out of order. That's a family that's upside down. Enough said there. I'll, I'll move along. But it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 12, talking about the body, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink of one spirit. Verse 20 says this, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Okay? John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying to the Father, this is what he says in verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. The desire of God, uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the desire of Him as He's praying to the Father, He says, Father, we're one. We're one in mission. We're one in plan. We're, we're unified in purpose. I want the church that you are purchasing with my blood, I want them to be one as we are. Can you imagine that? The power of that. We are one. It goes on to say this. It says, I do not pray, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And this is key. Not only does the world know that we're his disciples for the love we have one for another, but the Bible says that once we become unified, once we, we become unified, the world will recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You said, how's that possible? Well, I was given an illustration not too long ago about a church in India. Church was building their church out of block, and all the church people of that church came together to build together that church. And they were going out and some were making brick and some were laying the brick and some were making the mortar and the women were serving food. And not only that, it, it kind of extended out and they began serving food to the people around them and the people that were witnessing this unification, this, this getting together as the body of Christ, as they witnessed it, neighbors started coming and asking what they're doing and they got to share about the Lord and the neighborhood started getting saved because the people were so unified that they saw there's something different about this. They're working hard, they're sweating, and they're smiling. They're smiling. How many church events have you been to where people look like they've been sucking persimmons all day? We have the giver of life inside of us that wants to give more life outside of us. Praise God. 
says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them. God has given us his glory. He's given us his glory. The glory you've given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I want to ask you a question. Do you realize that God the Father loves you just as much as he loves his son Jesus? Oh, I don't know, Pastor, you're crossing a line there. I don't think God, I don't think God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Well, then you don't believe the Bible. Because Jesus himself said it. Father, let them know that you love them as much as you love me. Wow. How is that possible? Because God is love. God's not judgment. God's not anger. God's not hate. God is love. Now, there's some people that would rather serve the, the judgmental, angry, hateful God. Why? Because it's easier to bend that way. It's, it's easier to judge somebody and hate somebody than it is to love them. It's called becoming la- lazy Christianity. We don't want to work to love somebody. we rather just back off and say, oh, and go to hell then. True? So we see that we are one, that we have a purpose, that Jesus Christ desires us to be one. Paul in the book of Ephesians in verse four, chapter 4 says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Make every effort to continue to make yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Praise God, we are one. Hallelujah. I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without me. Why? Because we're one. We're one. I remember working as a carpenter one time, carpenter's helper, and I was hammering away, and man, that old thumb just got in the way. Pop! I was like, oh, hallelujah! I mean, I was, I popped it good. But you know what? The whole body felt it. This one was in pain, but the whole body felt it. This hand came to assistance. (laughs) These eyes started filling up with tears, looking at my thumb, going, this this lip started quivering. I mean, the whole body felt it. My foot stomping. (laughs) My foot felt it. Why? Because that was hurting. Why? Because we're one body. When someone's hurting, we should feel it. When somebody is broken, we should feel it. I broke my arm one time skateboarding. Many of you know this story. And it was a terrible break, and I won't go into details. Uh, It was a break so bad that the the doctors had even talked about amputating it. That's how bad the break was. My whole body felt it. My whole body felt it. I mean, I I didn't even know which way was up when, when it was broken. Because I'm just like in so much pain. Well, that's the way the body should be. 
When someone's hurting, we should hurt with it. When someone's rejoicing because of a blessing in their life, mm, we should rejoice with them. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We're going to end with this thought here. First of all, God is one. We are one. Now let's make it personal. You are one. You are one. The early church had remarkably difficult time spreading outside their walls and fulfilling the Great Commission in the early church. What had happened was they got saved, they got filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and they clustered around Jerusalem. Jesus told us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He says, I'm going to make you witnesses, and where am I going to send you? Jerusalem, yes. Judea, yes. Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But they clustered around Jerusalem. And that, that's a, kind of a cluster mentality we have in churches, us four and no more. We're good right here. You know, I, I don't want to launch outside my comfort zone. I'm good right here. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm good right here. But what happened, we realized that what they're experiencing may be human nature because change doesn't come easily, amen? A lot of times change doesn't come easily. The church in its beginning stayed in that clustered mentality. But in Acts chapter 8, something phenomenal happened. The evangelist Philip, who was one of the deacons of the church who was taking care of feeding and, and, and ministering to the widows of Jerusalem, he goes out and, and starts sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in what was considered defied Samaria. Why? Because the Samaritans were half Gentile, half Jew. So there was a great prejudice there. But Philip, breaking the prejudice barrier, goes and starts preaching in Samaria. And what takes place is that a revival breaks out in Samaria. And not only does a revival break out, but it, it's demonstrated by conversions to Christianity and miracles. Miracles are taking place. It says here in Acts chapter 8, verse 8, it explains, so there was great joy in that city. Now, when I read the 8th chapter of Acts, I see a desire for what I have in Martinsburg in Berkeley County. I want to visit my community. I want a visitation for my community in such a way that there will be joy filling hearts where there was bondage and there was guilt and there was anxiety and there were addictions. I want there to be a replacement of joy so people come into this place laughing and praising God, jumping and leaping and giving God praise. Why? Because of a heart set free praise God the most outstanding part of Acts chapter 8 is found at the end of the chapter God reached into this amazing citywide revival and plucked out Philip out of that revival and sent him to the desert the Bible says he was carried away by the spirit he just was there one time and then he's gone and God places him in the desert to minister to this Ethiopian eunuch who is traveling by the Ethiopian eunuch happened to have a scroll from Isaiah and was reading a passage from it. Now you have to understand, it cost a lot of money to buy a scroll because all the Bibles were handwritten in that day. So this was a, a, a great chunk of money. You know, It's like going to Lifeway for a Bible. But uh, that's a different story. He paid a great bit of money for that, that, that scroll he was reading, but he didn't understand what he was reading. So God sent Philip there to explain to him that passage of Scripture. The Ethiopian treasurer was converted and baptized and then continued on his way home. I forgot to mention that part, that he was a treasurer for Ethiopia, for the king of Ethiopia. 
He was a treasurer. He got converted. He was on his way home. Philip never saw him again. But when missionaries first reached Ethiopia, there was already a church established there. Wow. What happened? One man had gone home and changed his nation. One man, hearing the good news, went home and changed his nation. We never know the potential in one person God uses us to influence. Hear my heart for a second here as a pastor. That's why we really push ministry in the nursery or ministry in the Sunday school classes or ministry in children's church. Why is that? It's not that we can have glorified babysitters. It's ministry. You don't know if the person you're ministering to is going to be the next mayor of the city or the next governor of the state or the next president of the United States. Amen? I believe it with all my heart. That person that is hearing the gospel, those children that you're praying over, not rolling your eyes going, oh no, they burped up again. But you're praying over and you're ministering to. Even little presidents have to burp up every now and then. But you're ministering to them. It's a ministry. When you're sitting across the table and you're sharing the good news with two and three and four year olds and you don't think they're listening at all, my friend, they are listening. They're listening. Sheila and I could tell you stories of of times where she ministered in just little kids' Sunday school classes, just wee bitty kids, and how how she knew they were listening. It's a ministry. God has a purpose for you. You don't know the potential in one person God uses us to influence. Louis Palau, who was an evangelist uh, born out of uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, he began his preaching ministry at age 18, sharing the gospel on the streets of Buenos Aires. More than a billion people worldwide have heard him preach the good news through festivals, radio, television, and the internet. Over one billion people. Reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen to how he got converted. He has described the missionaries who came to his part of the world. And they were British missionaries. He said, the British missionaries who led my family to Christ made all the cultural mistakes in the book. I remember as a little boy sitting in the front row watching this poor man. It was hot as blazes in the summer. Being a proper Britisher, he only wore a tweed suit, not only a tweed suit, but a vest and thick socks. He would stand there sweating and sweating. I remember looking at the poor fellow and saying, why doesn't he take his coat off? But a proper Britisher in those days kept his coat on and toughed it out. He massacred the Spanish language and had strange foreign habits. But because of that fellow, my father went to heaven. Who would have known that the little boy sitting there listening to this Britisher, this missionary who made multitude of cultural mistakes would touch the world there's another man that was obedient dr mordecai ham was felt led of the lord to hold a revival in charlotte north carolina in november of 1934 where a teenage boy by the name of billy graham gave his life to christ he too was known to reach over a billion people for Christ in his lifetime, not to mention pastor or be spiritual advisor to 13 United States presidents. Wow. This one really impacted me. When 9-11 happened here in America, all American aircraft 
was grounded. There was only one airliner allowed in the air, an airliner carrying evangelist Billy Graham with the urgent message, our nation is in crisis, get Billy Graham to the White House. One person. One person. What a life. What a life. And you're, you're sitting there and you may be saying, but Pastor Rick, I'm not a Louis Palau. I'm not a Billy Graham. I will never be like that. Maybe not, but you can touch the people that they could never te- touch. And those are the people in your world. You can reach the people in your world. Why? Because God is one. We are one. You are one. One thing we realize here at Coffee with Pastor is that we could not do what we do without our monthly sponsors. We are so glad to have the fine Christian people at Bears Repair sponsoring this month's show. This month, Bears Repair is offering 10% off of all break service. All you have to do is mention that you listen to Coffee with Pastor. You need to keep your vehicle in good working order, but car and truck repairs can be very costly. Bears Repair in Martinsburg performs all kinds of auto repairs at prices most often well below their competition. Bears Repair offers tune-ups, oil change and lubrication, small and large engine and transmission repair, wheel balancing, front end alignment, exhaust system replacement, air conditioning checks, auto inspections, and new tires. Stop by for a free estimate at Bears Repair, 904 Winchester Avenue in Martinsburg, phone 262-0208. Bears Repair.